You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. This podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, telling Oklahoma stories through its people since 1927. Follow them online at OklahomaHOF.com and definitely on Instagram at OklahomaHOF. Let's get into today's episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This Is Oklahoma. Mike Hoon here, your host, back with another episode in Oklahoma City today uh, with my guest, Mr. Greg Horton, uh, at XPastor on Instagram, if you want to follow him while you're listening and look up and read about some amazing food scene in Oklahoma City. But that's not all he's done. He's done amazing things, Done got a, got a bit of a journey, which I always love to interview people who have been on quite a journey. Uh, but Greg, thanks so much for coming down. Excited to dive in. And, and I'm excited to learn about the Oklahoma City food scene because, I mean, you are in it every second, right? Yes. So you know everything that's coming, everything that's... I think I cook at know. home three times a year. <laughs> you laugh, but I think that's about right. Sincerely. I mean, yeah. That's, uh, hey, if you're not paying to go out and eat all the time, someone's covering your bills, and I will sign me up. Yeah, like, I, I wish it worked that way, but it doesn't anymore. Not, not a business expense pretty anymore. much got to pay your own way. Oh, shame. That's what you like when people are always like, what does it take to be a food writer? Uh, disposable income. <laughs> yeah, whatever, whatever, however you want to phrase that, that's kind of what's required. That is fair. Yeah. Uh, so right now then, you write predominantly for 4 or 5 magazine? Yes. So that, I'm sure that umbrella company's um, Hilltop Media. Sure. Corpus Christi, you know. And so I do write for The Bend occasionally, but most of the food writing I do right now is certainly 405, and then I'm also back to writing for the Convention and Visitors Bureau. Nice. I covered food for them pre-pandemic, and they've asked me to come back and do some blog posts yeah, yeah. Uh, on food stuff. And I think I've done three or four so far this summer. Yeah. So that was always a good relationship, too. And, you know, both of those entities allow you to sort of put the best face forward for Oklahoma City. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, writing come to you from an early age or is it something that had to come to yeah, you later on? Yeah, you know, I taught writing at the college level and it was miserable um, because, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean that also, I love kids and I love the students, right. so it was great, but writing is one of those things like singing, I guess, that you can either do it or you can't. Yeah. I mean, you can get better, but if you, I've, so I've always been able to do it. You know, the whole thing, high school newspaper, all of that right. um, comes fairly easily to me and I, and I you know, as, as someone who's teaching students, they, they're not really great, like, with that idea, it's like, yeah. oh, cool. So we struggle with this, and you don't. But that's, yeah, I mean, that's what I've been doing. I think I pu- published my first story in 1990. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's, it's been 32 years. Yeah. I only know that because I was born in 1990. Oh, so congratulations. That's the only reason well, that my math yeah. is good that yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, so. it was, uh, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't a food story, but, yeah, that was the first, first year was 1990. Yeah. So going back then, to kick it off, born and raised here? No. My father was Army, so um, I, my mother came back to Oklahoma. There were three boys. Okay. Her family's, they're, they're from here. Yeah. But she'd come back, have the children, to be around her family, and then meet my dad wherever he was stationed at the time, because he was career. Yeah. And so I, didn't, I lived in Oklahoma twice before I was 20. So you got just a free way to travel the yeah, world. Yeah, I think our first, my first 10 years of life were primarily um, uh, Japan. We were in Tokyo. Yeah. And then um, a good chunk of Colorado and Texas. I love Japan. It was, you know, it was a great place to be a kid too. It was weird yeah. because they sell fireworks year round and and I was a towhead <laughs> at the time. So, you know, people come up and rub my white hair uh, and it was just very, very strange experience. Uh, but it's a beautiful, fantastic whimsical, amazing country. I want to go back. We're talking about going back to Tokyo next yeah, year on same. a trip because it's just, it's, 
it's a very unique thing. It's so different. Yeah. Right? Like it's, you know, you go to Europe or you go to somewhere in the US or Canada, whatever, Mexico, like it's similar. But going there, yeah. I mean, it is a different world, isn't it? It felt as a kid like you're in a carnival constantly. Yeah. And I remember like it was the 60s because um, I'm old, uh, pre-old. But I remember getting robots with video monitors and that moved when I was like a kid because yeah. Japan was so far ahead of the U.S. technologically at that time. And so as a kid there, you're like toy stores and, you know, fireworks and you, you get to get out of the pier every day in Tokyo yeah. and see the, the ocean. It was just a wonderful place to be a kid. Yeah. One of the things when, when I was there, I realized that like nobody really eats dessert food and the vending machines were like amazing yeah even today like the sandwich so cool. machines like you go in there yeah. and, they, and and like the, the sandwich guys were just in town for that pop-up but that whole aesthetic comes from those vending machines of the sandwich is sliced in half and then the beautiful sort of yeah. you know they make it they think in terms of how is this going to look when we slice it because it really is sort of an aesthetic and it's beautiful yeah. Yeah. and it's like if we saw it at 7-eleven or whatever it'd be like tuna salad sandwich no no we're good thanks don't need that but their vending machines are a way different experience yeah yeah it's hard to explain isn't it but you for people listening I google it because it's it's fascinating how yeah. kind of they do that but so you grow up then with quite a broad sense of the world then yes which is and amazing. I joined the, I joined the military at 17 um, I turned 18 in basic training and so I was immediately that's how I ended up in the UK yeah I was there for a year and a half as well and so you know I, yeah I, I do think being a military kid is a liability and an asset I mean it's just you're, sure. you're moving every six months 10 months 12 two years whatever but you're also Meeting new people, experiencing new things, tasting new stuff. That's one of my struggles with people when I write about food is if you're not an adventurous eater, I mean, I don't, I don't know I don't know how to deal with people like that. I have friends who are like, I got my chicken nuggets, I'm good. And it's like, okay, I'm so sad for you. And I don't, but I just, you know, it's whatever. If, if that's yeah. their thing, that's fine. Um, but man, for me, like I still, when I smell those little soy crackers uh, that uh, you associate with Japanese food where they have the little seaweed wrapped around them, that smell just sends me right back to uh-huh. Tokyo where we're, we're at the, the pier and we're looking out of the ocean and the water's super green and there's starfish everywhere. And those that fish market smell is still a very pleasant memory for me. Yeah, yeah. that's the great thing about food, isn't yeah. it? Like food and travel. You know, it just, it takes you back to a time when you were a kid or you were this or you were that. Yeah. And it's like, it's like music as well. Music is the same thing. It's almost always good memories associated with the food. Yes. Almost always. But almost. yes, yeah, there's yeah. some bad food. There's some bad food. Memories, well, if you eat food long enough, right, for as yeah. much as you do, you, right? I, I like, I mentally clock my worst meal of the year and I just, I never write about it. Obviously it would be a mean <laughs> spirited thing to do. It's in a burn book But I, I know what it is. And if someone asked me, I would probably tell them, uh, but yeah, mostly it's a, it, those are pleasant memories. Yeah, for the, to a great degree. Yeah. So you were you were like, I'm going in the I'm in the army then I'm in the military. Well, I mean, there's a longer story to that, but yeah, my, you know, it's long enough ago that I was about to get married because that's what you do, Seminole, sure. Oklahoma, whatever. And my father had been army, and I knew that. Um, the, for me, the benefits were great because I wanted to keep moving. Like I wanted to go overseas yeah. again, uh, and they offered me a pretty good sort of. Um, vocational opportunity, a Russian linguist. So 18 months of language school and then pretty really? choice um, bases around the world where you where you land. And that's back when the days when there was a Soviet Union. And so there's a ton of Russian linguists in the military at the time. Um, and it was, and I was in Seminole. I mean, I, right. Seminole, Oklahoma and, and, you know, whatever. Uh, 
I don't, know, I don't know what you do there. Yeah, I mean, especially with your world traveling experience. All of that, I'm like, like, if you grow up there, I, it's fine. Yeah, and I got back, uh, I guess, from the military too. But before I left, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know where we're going to end up. But yeah. the military seemed to be an opportunity. Um, and then even getting back from the military back to Seminole, I couldn't. I, I got out again as fast as I could because. Yeah. I'm a city. I live downtown. I live right downtown proper, and that's where I prefer. If I moved anywhere else, which I'm not likely to at this point in my life, I would find a downtown place. Yeah, just or at least urban core kind of an idea to be in the the bustle and like the, yeah. the energy of it, rather than I'm going to be in a suburb 20 minutes away. Yeah, no, that's right. I, and to me, because of what I do. Um, like I struggle sometimes with Edmund and Norman because I, I want to do due diligence and cover, you know, the, yeah. the four cardinal directions. But I also don't want to go out there and drink and then have to get back home. Yeah. So I end up doing lunches there or something like that, which isn't necessarily the full experience of a restaurant. Uh, depends on what you're doing. Uh, but yeah, that's that for me is being able to walk out of my apartment and right. three blocks later, I'm on my favorite bars. That's I just. That's, I don't want to trade. I'll take all the noise just to have those experiences. Yeah. That's very much like the UK. Yeah. Right. Like you walk everywhere. Yeah. You know, you just pub hop if you want to, and you can go to five or six pubs in one night and not really walk for more than four miles. Yeah. I do miss those days when you have like a pocket full of pound coins and (laughs) darts in the other pocket and you're going from, and the drunker you get, the better you are at subtracting from 501. Oh yeah. It's like, this is an amazing, I'm good at math. And it's really, no, you're not. You're just good at this one function of math. Yeah. On beer. Absolutely. There's not going to be many people that get that, but I get it. So I I appreciate that analogy. (laughs) Uh, right. Most of the people listening probably like, what is 501? Oh, they might even start at 301. But <laughs> yeah. Google it. Please. Yeah, we always played 501. Yeah. Yeah. God, and the chalk as well. And the oh, yeah. Chalk the, on the, dart the real horsehair dartboards, the real things. Like, there's a few of those in Oklahoma City. Yeah. Uh, but most of our dart leagues, obviously, are plastic tip darts and yeah. squeaky boards. I just don't. It's not the same thing. It's not the same in, yeah. a, in a smoke, smoky, hazy, yeah, terrible lit pub, and you're trying to throw a dot. Using bad beer, <laughs> at least yeah, the other warm beer. Exactly. <laughs> it's like no, I don't want that. Yeah, yeah. So, do you go? Do you learn Russian then? Do you go? No, I like, don't anymore. I mean, you know, you, when you leave a, a, a language behind, so you, you did learn it then. Oh, yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's that was the thing. Is we did that. That was my career in the military for a little while. Yeah, was that translation process? But that was. 30 years yeah. ago. So you were so. listening to trans- yes, transmissions from the then Soviet Union. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Listening yeah. in on trying to spy on them or trying to get information and stuff. See, though, I, well, I, I wouldn't go that far. I'm not we're sure. Uh, I, it was more knowing where things were. Okay. Uh, let's put it that way. Um, and it was just a fascinating process. And of course, being at Chick Sands, which is this tiny little base uh, above of London, like maybe 50 miles, um, that we had a huge antenna. Uh, called the Flare 9. It has these huge white cylinders. So every time a taxi driver would pick me up from the base to take me into Bedford to drink or whatever, they'd say, are those are those nuclear missiles? I'm like, no, I swear to you, that's an antenna. That's an antenna but anybody's yeah. seeing that's like, no, you're having me on that. It's not that's an a antenna. Rocket. Like, I swear to God, it's an antenna. <laughs> but yeah, that was, uh, but it's, it was a quaint, beautiful, it's one of the rare military bases where they had to allow the, the locals on because it was one of those, I don't know what they call it, they call it in Britain, the trust, some kind of trust okay. building. So yeah. there was a priory there. So they just so you know you're going to this basically NSA yeah. military base installation thing, and then there's these Brits walking in to see the geese, and it's just like a, 
okay, cool. This is it's a very British thing. It, it's, like, it was actually fantastic. The people yeah. around the base were lovely, and we had a great time, and there were great little pubs around there. Yeah. And I know that's happening in England, too, with, yeah. the, with this sort of uh, commodification and everything and the consolidation. You're getting those corporate pubs instead of those great mom and pops that, were, right. that made everything great. So. Yeah, you get, like, franchise pubs now, right? Yeah. Breweries and chains and stuff like that. But, yeah, you're right. Like, the small... You know, that's like, no, you're never going to get that here, right? Because everything, every military base here is like fenced off and in the middle of nowhere. And yeah. It's got security all around it. Whereas back home, it's like, yeah, they'll be fine. Well, that's 100% the case. They don't know anything. So what are they going <laughs> to do, right? You know? It was, I have to say, it was a strict, having grown up in the military, to see that kind of lack of security around the <laughs> gate. I was like, oh, okay, well, this is this is yeah. a new thing. This, yeah, yeah, come on down. Yeah. My, my uh, I had a, a family member who was in, a uh, former family member who was in the, uh, the Royal Air Force and, like they had a gate obviously because you have an airport and you know we had to go in there and give them your badge and stuff but at the same time like the town that they lived in everyone's like you know yeah you could get places right absolutely yeah. you just couldn't get on the runway no i say that's the way, i mean that's the way and i like that british model i really do where it's yeah. more integrated into the community in the u.s we rely on them for the economic impact on a, on a place but they're, right. they're fairly isolated from the life of the community and i get that it's it's, it's a transitory existence you know you're yeah. there and you're gone two years later or three years later but for me, uh, I didn't live on base at first. I lived in Bedford, and yeah. it was a wonderful. That's how I met. We talked before we started about the people from Blackpool and Cyprus, yeah. and you know our neighbors were just these lovely people that were excited to have Americans living next door, and they were they were appalled that I hated gardening. I'm like <laughs> I'm, I'm not. He's like, you get to cut your Jeff's name. Are you gonna cut your grass? No, not no. this week. No, probably not. But I will get to it. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like Greg's the one with the jungle next door. Exactly right. It's like yeah. biodiversity. We'll call. It. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the seasons will figure it out and grass will die. It's fine. Exactly. It, it, it'll take care of itself. Or some, like, animal will come and chew it out. It'll be <laughs> fine. Uh, do you miss it? Do you miss being in the UK? I, rem- I was 18, maybe 19. I was 19 when we landed yeah. in the UK. And I remember the bus ride from um, uh, Gatwick, yeah. so I think where we landed, uh, to Bedford. And it was just the most beautiful countryside I'd ever seen. And, you know, I grew up everywhere, like, literally. Uh, and Colorado was like kind of home to me. I still, we were in Aurora, Denver for most of my formative years. But I mean, England is just, it's, it's beautiful. And it's beautiful in that pastoral way, right? right? Where you see the rolling hills and then there's the small farms and they have the sort of stone fences, the segment stuff off. Yeah. And, and then of course there's the, the sprawl and insanity that's London that I absolutely, yeah. I can't even tell you how we avoided death or jail <laughs> in London so many times. Cause you know, you just jump on the train and, and you're you down go. there yeah. in no time at all. Uh, yeah, note to uh, city politicians, please give us a train to Tulsa. Yeah. Uh, that, I mean, that sort of high-speed thing is right. phenomenal. Oh, yeah, yeah, and it you're changes right. your experience of a place. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. you're right. It brings people in from two, three hours outside of London to go experience it, and then they jump yeah. on the train and go home. How much fun yeah. would it be to jump on a train and be in Tulsa in 30 oh, minutes? So much better, wouldn't it? Yeah. 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 That will, it, well, I'm sure it'll happen one day. Hopefully yeah. we're here. And, yeah. well, I'm getting old enough that I'm worried about those <laughs> one day sort of statements. Exactly. Yeah, because chartering a luxury cab up there is not fun, is it? And driving <laughs> no, it's not the same thing. No, yeah. and I don't want to. I don't want one of those stripper poles in the middle of my bus <laughs> on the way to Tulsa either. I've never understood that. It's like, does someone really use these things? I don't uh, know what's happening. What are those buses called? Blue something? Yeah. Uh, blue or black diamond buses, something oh like that. God. Party buses? Yeah. God. It's like, what's yeah. the stripper pole for? <laughs> 
<laughs> like it's like getting on the get on the tram in Oklahoma City, right? Or the whatever streetcar. Like there's three of these poles here. This is not what I'm used to. Who's having one? <laughs> it's like yes, exactly, exactly, just like that. Uh, that's that's hilarious. Because yeah, one of the things that also drives me nuts is driving to Tulsa. Why we only have two lanes? With as much room as we have in this country, in this state, like why didn't you put three lanes in? But that's another topic that we could talk about. Oklahoma City yeah. roads for a long it's time. A transportation uh, podcast coming up. Pain in the backside. Uh, so military, you're in. How many years did you do in the military before you get out? Four, a little over four. Yeah. So quite not a big stint then. Quite no, big. I was. It, it wasn't for me. Let's put it yeah. that way. It was. Um, were you politely asked to leave? I don't, I don't think my think father much cared for it either. Like yeah. he just did it because you know that generation was a little more duty bound than right. than we were. Um, and so he had three sons, and he had to provide. And yeah, so he yeah. did 22, 25 range. Got you. Uh, and I could, he'd never, it was not, didn't suit him either. Yeah. Uh, but he he stuck with it. I just didn't have to stick with it. And so, yeah. um, and I'm, I don't regret it. I think it's awesome. And I think it, anybody that does it can benefit from it. But I teach college now too, and I get those kids that come back from, you know, GI Bill stuff, and they've made a deal with the devil. It's like, you, right. maybe you get combat, maybe you don't. Like, my grandson's now a, a Marine in Okinawa. And so as soon as Ukraine kicked off, you know, you cross your fingers and hope for the best. And right. you don't want an 18-year-old kid showing up in a country he's never been in to shoot at people he's never met. Right. Yeah. In a war that really makes no difference. No difference to, yeah. <laughs> like, no, I just, it, yeah. it's it's some of the, and that's the thing, like, you grew up in the military and you think in those ter- those categories, right? Yeah. Like, we grew up in a very racially diverse sort of culture. Yeah. Military culture was that way. And you don't think about things like, um, you know, those sort of things that people who are civilians are, are consumed with, because our father, my dad was in Vietnam, he was, he yeah. was a combat veteran, and you're worried that your dad's going to come home or not come right. home, and so it didn't much matter who you were, if you were enlisted, all the enlisted kids' yeah. fathers were in the same boat, and now these days, mothers to an, another extent as well, and then it was primarily men. Um, so it does create an interesting sort of insular community that yeah. I think is good for you in some ways. Long term, they're still studying some of that. And my older brother's involved in some of those um, groups where the dependents of the military have gone on to sort of discuss what the ramifications are long term. Right. Yeah. So uh, for me, it just wasn't it wasn't a, a good fit. Yeah. And well, uh, the good thing is you found that out really early on. Yes. You know. Yeah, I was quite young. I was 22, 23 yeah. when I got out. So 20. 22, yeah. I think, when I got out. So yeah. then you come back to family and Samuel? Yeah, I came back to Oklahoma, and um, I was in Seminole, and I didn't know what I was going to do with my life at that point. I'd done some college in the military, and I took a job as a furniture delivery guy. Yeah. And I remember I went to work one day, and the dude, I can't even remember his name, they were on Main Street in Seminole back when such a thing existed. And uh, he called me aside one day. He says, I'm, Horton, I'm firing you. I'm like, what? <laughs> I was like, I thought I was doing a good job. He said, you're doing a great job, but this is not the world for you. Go find a real job. Do something with your life. Go to college. You should not be doing this. You're going to throw your back out, ruin the rest of your life. You're fired. What a hero. I mean, I, I, you know, as a kid, I was like, a kid, young 20s, I was, I was pissed. Well, I was yeah. like, I needed a job, and he, but he did the best thing for me. So I, ro- I enrolled in OU the next semester. Okay. And so that, yeah, but then, yeah. yeah. So that got me out of Seminole, which is where I badly needed to be. Yeah, and listen. If you like small towns, if that's your experience with them, I get it. People, right. some people love them, and they're yeah. meant to be there. I honestly would rather be in jail, <laughs> that's, which yeah. we might get to it. Which a little we bit. might get to eventually. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Yeah. So then you're off to college for a little bit, and you're like, I have a career now. I have a second yeah, chance. My, what am I going to do? My father had relocated to Oklahoma. He was in Norman, actually, okay. actually South Oklahoma City, close enough to Norman. 
and he was a nurse. Yeah. Um, when he got out of the military, he finished his uh, training and <clears throat> became a nurse. And that's how he was. He was still a nurse. I think still working when he died, honestly, a little bit. Yeah. Um, and he'd moved here. So I, I came up here and stayed with him for a little bit while I was at OU. I didn't like the, the Norman feel. So I, I just commuted. I moved back to Seminole with some friends and, and a place that we got. And then I would go up to uh, Norman for class. And then I got okay. it down to where I was only going to like one day a week, yeah. which was ideal at the time. But, but I didn't finish there. That was there was, a, there was a long delay after that. Yeah. yeah. When does, I mean, obviously, you know, you you you're back and forth to Norman and then you're like, I'm down to one day and, and you just think, oh, this is not for me. I'm going to do something else. Or like, I mean, where do we, how do we go from there? Well, like, I mean, I guess we'll just, yeah, I mean, I robbed a bank. That um, was, so that, that's, that's that was, what happened. That's yeah. I was, shit. I was still, okay. a, I was actually, a, was going to, I think they called it Seminole community college or Seminole okay. something at the time. It's now Seminole state college with the group of mates that you just said. Well, yeah. So I, yeah, I had a couple of friends and we were, I don't know what it's what happens when you have ADHD have nothing and do. nothing to do. Yeah, it's like <laughs> we were already petty criminals. Yeah. Uh, and we're like, this is, we should do something that pays better. Right. And so we robbed a bank. And turns out the FBI have zero sense of humor. Um, <laughs> and we also didn't know the FBI was going to get involved. Like, what I know, the criminal justice system. Uh, and so. Right. Just think yeah. this is my small town. No, that's exactly right. It's going to be like Barney Fife and all the, you yeah. know, the, the, the sort of small town deputies with one bullet. Right. Um, but it, yeah, it ended up being a four and a half year pause in my life where yeah, yeah did federal prison for four and a half years. And, and fortunately- the, In Oklahoma or not? No, no, no. It was federal. So uh, the only the only federal prison in Oklahoma City the day, time was El Reno and you don't want to go there you for any- there. Re- No, we were there 11 days to get processed. And like the first day we were there, this guy got stabbed to death in front of us. And we're just standing there and this old convict walks <laughs> and up. You're and you're what, like mid-20s? You, you, was, yeah, I was 23. <laughs> and this old convict walks up and this he goes, y'all need to get going because they're going to round everybody up. And I'm like, oh, this is what we do. Cool. This is what you, someone dies and you yeah. just, you leave so you don't get sort of arrested. And it was just like, you know, it's one of those moments, like when I joined the military and I'm, you know, 17 years old and you show up for basic training and you get there at 10 o'clock at night and the, yeah. the door opens and there's this huge dude and he's like, you're good. I'm like, I'm not good. Um, and so there are those moments and you just don't have, you don't have a choice. That's just what happens. Yeah. Right. And then you have to sort of figure out, okay, what's the response to this? Yeah. And so we did 11 days there and then they sent us to Texarkana and then finally big spring. Because uh, in the federal system, they can literally send you sure. anywhere. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. sometimes they even punish people by sending them as far from their family as possible. Right. But I was lucky because the time when I went in, the, the young guy that I'd robbed the bank with, uh, the judges back then had this sense if you were young and vulnerable, then you, they could do buddy they system. Then they would they pair you up. Yeah. And it really did help. Um, there were a couple of moments where it was like, whew. Um, but that was, yeah, so then I, get, I got out, but when I got out, I came back to Oklahoma City. Yeah. So that was 92. So when people ask me now, how long have you been in Oklahoma City since 92? 92. <laughs> no other details. Um, but I, I got out and came back here, and my younger brother yeah. at that time uh, sort of set me up, and I started doing soft goods sales. Sure. Um, and then um, went into pastoring for about 14 years. And yeah. then... That was in college, grad school, and all of that. I finished up. I went back to college at 28, 29. Uh-huh. Finished my undergrad and then went to grad school. Yeah. Uh, finished that in 2005. Have you written a book about this yet? Because you need no. There's so every time I talk to someone, oh, you was like, to. like I, this just happened. Like recently, there's a, a journalist in LA that's kind of a, becoming a good friend, and she's got an agent. Should you talk to my agent? And I'm like, here's the problem with writing about this kind of thing is that there's the son of Sam law, uh, which is the fruits of crime bill, uh, which which is good law. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. When Sam Berkowitz, you know, the son of Sam, was killing all those people, he made a book book deal, yeah. and so someone wisely said we probably shouldn't allow criminals to make money off of their crimes, and so the fruits of crime bill 
bill passes. Makes sense. Rightly so. Uh, sometime late 70s, early 80s, whenever that Son of Sam thing was. Um, and so, no, I could write it, but, but I'd, you're not I'd have to give it all to charity or something yeah. like that. Um, but it's not that it's not a story I haven't told sure. a few times. Yeah, so a testimony. Yeah, it, yeah and I, that word is interesting that you would choose that, but I, I can go with that. Um, that's just me tying it. No, but that's, that, that's kind of... <laughs> It's a story that has limited value, right? Sure. It's like, oh, cool, you robbed a bank. It's like, like I killed a kid. That, that's not. Right. That's a story with zero value, right? Yeah. So with that one, there's some entertainment value. But what I do find it useful is I teach community college. Yeah. And it, and it's and I'm a big second chance person. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. And so you can tell the kids, like, listen, it doesn't. It really matter what you did. You can you can bounce back. There, right. There's a way to sort of move forward from that moment, um, and I think that's the value of that story more than hey he robbed a bank and that's super cool and right. it really it really is a funny story all the way through. We got through a couple of roadblocks. We got pulled over, taken to a sheriff's office. They let us go. I mean, there's a lot of things that happened on that three day stretch when we were running from the law, but it was just, it, the, just yeah. again at the moment it's like okay this is happening. Yeah. So now what do I do? And you just kind of roll reacting. You just, you just roll with it. It's like, okay, now I got to figure this out. You know, yeah. cops are chasing you at 120 miles an hour. And it's just like, this is not where I thought it was going to be right now. Well, yeah. I don't know where I thought it was going to be, but it wasn't on a dirt road outside of, you know, Colgate, Oklahoma. So, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the, I mean, thing, I, I assume back in that day you weren't getting like, you were live on news nine. <laughs> like uh, it was, yeah, know, we were like actually, we actually made USA through. today. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was so bad. It was so bad. Uh, I felt so horrible for my family. I just, you know, it's again, you make a decision and you right. go with it and then you realize later on the repercussions. Sure. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So the second, third chance, whatever it is that, that is that how you then, while you're in inside in jail, is that how you turn to faith in Christ? Yeah. I mean, we'd grown up in church and so it was, me, you know, now I teach religion and I teach philosophy. Yeah. Uh, and I'm I'm neither I'm not a religious person any longer. But at the time, you know, you learn that language when you're a kid, and when you go through those things, it becomes sort of a safe haven to go back to the language. Um, and I'm keep saying it that way because I don't know that there's anything else that matters sure. besides the words. Um, and so that's what I did. I, I sort of I sort of investigating. But because I'm a writer, I've always done this. It's just starting. Yeah. Once you start digging, I just don't want to stop digging. Yeah. Well, that isn't really great necessarily in a religious framework. At some point, they want you to stop digging, right? Um, and so I just couldn't. And so I dug my way out, basically. Yeah. Is what it is. So I finished a graduate degree in philosophy of religion, essentially. And I was done. I mean, yeah. just like literally done with the job and the faith. And so I left the ministry and started teaching. I got lucky because a friend of mine, um, was uh, also a member of the church, a, a retired police officer, and had gone got two master's degrees and taught English. And sure. he connected me to some state schools where I could teach, and that's what got me started at OCCC back in the day. And gotcha. I've been at OSUKC now for 13 years, I think. Yeah. So, and they've been a fantastic place. And I'm only an adjunct. I don't really gotcha. like the idea of full-time gigs, obviously. Yeah. 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 So then that, uh, while, while you're there... Fast forwarding, you know, that period of time, when do you start, like, food writing? That, that's, so... Because you've always, like, said... you no, That's right. And I said I wrote my first story in 1990. It's when I was in prison, actually. I published two stories when I was in the penitentiary still. So I knew I was going to be able to be a writer. One of those weird moments, too, I landed on uh, A-Wing at Texarkana Penit Federal Detention Center. And the, a gentleman on that floor, James Jennings, was from Oklahoma. Yeah. And he'd written 50 books. Oh, wow. Uh, but he was a famous counterfeiter that had gotten busted, and then the FBI used him to help out with. So he was on sure. the Tonight Show and the whole thing. Yeah, he, did yeah. the, he became but, a celebrity. Yeah, and, but in those days, <laughs> right. we, we had like like 
every once in a while I have a student who's like, I'm going to use a typewriter. You're a moron. You should not use a typewriter. Trust me, I had to li- like, that's how you wrote back then. And yeah. so, uh, but he taught me everything it took to be a writer, like the, the manuscript process, the submission process, sure. all of that, right? And that was really important at the time because I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. And so I did that. And so in 2001, I did a, I was pastoring and we did an installation at, um, Laura's place, um, Untitled Gallery. And it was this grad student from OU who had done this sort of provocative Israeli versus Palestinian uh, thing. And so we did a Good Friday. We had an imam. We had a rabbi. We had me. We had the artist. And I remember Susan Grossman was the editor-in-chief at the Gazette at the time. And she was there. And so in her letter from the editor that week, she said, you know, like what Horton had to say about satire, yada, yada, yada. So I called her. And I'm like, I want to write for you. And she's like, do you write? I'm like, yeah, I write. And she's like, what do you write about? I'm like, well, uh, what do you want me to write about? She goes, no, that's not the way this works. Do you have an idea? Yeah. I said, well, you don't have any religion coverage. You need some religion coverage. And so she actually agreed. Yeah. And so for a first couple of two or three stories, I wrote about religion. And then Susan gave way to Rob Collins, and I did a lot of stuff, music, art, um, hard news, a little bit of everything, just sure. whatever I could do. Because I was a gig guy. I was just trying to whatever I do to get paid. Yeah. Um, and then in 2007 or eight. um, Carol Smiglinski was the food editor at the Gazette at the time. I left my then wife and I were living outside Piedmont. We were coming into town. Carol called and she says, "Greg, can you write about wine?" Well, I, mean, I drink a lot of it, um, so surely I, I can. I've always said yes. I, mean, I have a the, palate. That's yes. the gig thing, right? If you yeah. can you do this, yes, I can do that. They asked me at one time, "Can you write about fashion?" Figure Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm clearly I don't. I think it's the most banal of all of our vices, really. Uh, but I can do it, and yeah. so I did. But so for this one, she said, "Can you write about wine?" I'm just like, "Sure." I said, when do you need it? She said, four o'clock today. So we turned the car, we turned the car around and went back. I wrote a story, it's like 20 bottles under $20, yeah. right? Because I was hand selling wine at the time at this little Easy. shop on the Northwest side. And um, I wrote about wine every week for five years after that. Yeah. And so when you write about wine, it's a funny thing, right? Everybody just assumes, well, obviously you can write about food too. Yeah. Of course, absolutely. Yeah. Of course I can. I've read about wine. I read about food. I read about spirits, beer, doesn't matter. Yeah. And then it's 2016 was 14 really slice was before it became 405. I started working with Mia Kitchen and then Heidi um, Centrella as editors and they really trusted me and they let me go out and write about food and, I never, I, people tell me, like, they'll introduce me today. He's a food writer. No, I'm a writer. Writer. 40% yeah. of what I write is about food. Right. But I'm still just a writer. Predominantly, yeah. yeah exactly. Like, I'm the, I've just transitioned now at, at the 405 um, sort of banner, whatever you want to call that. Uh, I went from being senior writer for 405 to being a senior writer for 405 business. Sure. But I'm still a food editor at 405. So I'll Got still you. do dining for them and travel. But I'll do a lot of the main story writing for 405 business. And yeah. I've really enjoyed writing business stories. Yeah. Because like well, they're fascinating. They too. are because there's a story behind the, that that drives the story, right? Like yeah. I just did a piece about uh, J- uh, Johnny Sumflefarty. He's a, a Lao businessman. Yeah. Been on the podcast. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. and so the hot sauce. I, and I yeah. right, and so I wrote about this idea. Here's this Lao American yeah. that is going. He's sick of his career, and he dives back in, and he dives into his culture and his heritage, and out of that comes this sort of passion for yeah. these products. And I think that's. That's what that's what writing is, right? It's what you yeah. do too. You right. you dig Same into thing. people's brains and sort of get them to say things that yeah. candidly, and so that's good business writing to me. Does yeah. it have numbers? Yes. Is there are there other percentages and growth? Absolutely. But there's a human behind that right. with a dream or a passion or, or whatever, and so you try to sort of tap into that. Yeah. And I think honestly, I think we're doing. We're young. I think this is our third issue or something. Oh, yeah. It's been, it's been great. Yeah, and I yeah. think we're doing a really solid job. I mean, I'm, I'm proud of what we're producing. I am yeah. at 405, too. I, I do think that, and I know you had Julie, our editor-in-chief, on uh-huh. the podcast. 
And there's a lot of energy at that magazine right now. We've, we've transitioned over the years. I've been there, I could say, I started writing for them in 14. And then Jordan and Kaylee bought it in 2018, I believe. Um, and they brought this new energy and youth and vitality and sort of a, uh, this attitude that what we really are is evangelists for a city, right? You mm-hmm. want to talk about what's great about Oklahoma City. And that's kind of what we try to do. Yeah. And I'm also quite proud of the fact that over the last several years, we have become a fairly diverse publication, mm-hmm. right? So because the stories that constitute Oklahoma City, um, they are not just those old, right. well-endowed neighborhoods. Yeah. They are the little taquerias down on 29th, and they're the, the East End Mer- Merchants Association on yeah. Northeast 23rd, and they're the West African Foods that's popping up over on the west side now. Right. It's, just, it's, it's like this amazing collection yeah. of stories that we want to— there's no meta-narrative. You know, you can't tie the whole thing together. But all those stories matter. And so, yeah. and, I, and I think we're doing a more than respectable job of fleshing those out. 100%. Yeah. Uh, to that point, Sharina Perry was in here yesterday. Perry. Sharina Perry from Utopia Plastics. Oh, my gosh. She was in here yesterday. And I'm just like what, blown how, how away. How insane is that? It's, it's like, bonkers. what if we did it this way? Yeah. Oh, we'll give you $100 million if you do it that way. Uh, cool, exactly. done. Yeah. Like, and it's just. In four years. And so I think Katie Spillman, our editor-in-chief uh-huh. at the at Biz, told that story. Um, but I, yeah, I just, when they first told me about her, I was stunned. I'm like, how have I not heard this story already? Yeah. This literally should be everywhere. Right. And, and it so, will be soon. And I think it will be too. Yeah. I agree. Because uh-huh. I think her contracts that are coming in right now, she richly deserves. Yeah. Um, I just think it's not off, often you get someone, see someone rewarded for being smart and innovative and hardworking. I know right. that the narrative would say that. Yeah. But it, it usually was, they get paid off, right? Yeah, exactly. Forced right. to do something else. And so else. she's getting to yeah. own the sort of, um, you know, the, the, the byproduct of her brilliance yeah. and sort of ingenuity and, and all the innovation that she brought to it. Yeah, Shireen is like, there's stories like that, like you said, you're like, why have I not heard of this? And the fact that, you know, four or five is, is looking at all these stories. Yeah. And, you know, even just the stories that you know of or the businesses you've heard of, like Lopez Foods, right? Oh, yeah. You don't know that story, cause you, but you know that you see the their company everywhere, but yeah. you're like, well, why has nobody told this story? Well, and there's, we're getting generational stories now, which I love. Like mm-hmm. if you haven't been to Trumpudos Tacos yet on Southwest 60th and May, oh, Lupe yeah. Garcia is the son of Chilino. And so, but okay. he's not doing his father's Tex-Mex sort of emphasis. Yeah. He's gone to Mexico City and he's traveled extensively in Mexico and he especially loved Cozumel and his time there. And he's learning and he's, he's learned right. to make tacos in a more traditional style, it's depending amazing. on which regional Mexican cuisine you're talking about. And they're the best tacos in Oklahoma City. Yeah. Um, and he's doing it, he's, he's utilizing his father's network because they have all those yes. things that put everything together. Right. And never would say that's clearly beneficial, right? That's sure. all it's got to be. Never would say that he's done this on his own. But he has had the idea, had the passion, done, made the drive, done the process, invested the money, took the risk. And right now, yeah. he's the guy. I, we, we've been predicting this for a while. It's like one of those, you know, once in future king, white messiah kind of stories that come along all the time. Yeah. And we've been saying there's going to be someone that figures out how to bridge that river. Uh-huh. Like someone who's on the Mexican-American side, does tacos, does whatever, all those traditional taquerias down there. They're going to figure out how to get white people happy on this side of town. Because the problem <laughs> is, right. in, in all sincerity, yeah. there's two things happening. Like there's a language barrier when yeah. you go to Southwest 29th. And... And I'm tired of hearing people say, well, they don't speak English. No, you don't speak Spanish. Don't speak Spanish. They're, they're fine in their neighborhood. Yeah. Everything's great down there. They're yeah. killing it, as a matter of fact. But it's also this idea, and, I, and there's nothing wrong with the idea, that when I sit down for Mexican food, I want margaritas. 
Well, yeah. it makes Bev licenses fairly expensive, and yeah. uh, so there's never been that sort of emphasis down there. Well, Lupe's done that. He's yeah. got a, a full bar with these creative cocktails, and so he's making delicious traditional food with the cocktails, and he's very, very comfortable uh, in both languages, mm-hmm. so much so, and I don't know people how respect how hard this is. He's capable of using puns and double entendres in both languages. That's and that's amazing. a pretty impressive sort of mastery of, of, of a non-native language. Yeah. So uh, I just, those kind of stories are fantastic. So now the, the Hispanic community has been here long enough that the second and third generations, it's the same thing that happened in the Asian district now yeah. where we're seeing Jenny Wen, whose family has Lee sandwiches. She's doing boombox. It'll be open this summer where she's doing yeah. vermicelli bowls. So second generation, third generation. So those stories become you know, a family story and right. you just keep telling that story yeah. and it keeps un- unfolding. And I just, I just have a lot of love for that whole process. I do. Cause you know, as a kid, as, as the middle of three, yeah. you know, your parents have things they want for you. And you, and, and you don't know necessarily that your idea is going to align with theirs. And so when it does, like I see these families that have these sort of dynasties of whether it's food or sports yeah. or whatever, it's gotta be an amazing moment. And you realize that, yeah, I, this is me. I can do yeah. this. I, I'm, I'm made for this. I, this is what I'm going to do. Because you choose food service because you love it. Yeah. You don't choose it to get rich. You don't choose it because choose it to have the weekends off. It's not because of the sex and the power. <laughs> it's literally because you love yeah. dealing with cranky people who are hungry. Right. And and you get a lot of love and satisfaction out of feeding people well. Yeah. I had that conversation with uh, Michael Kraft. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Hank was on recently as well, and just like you know, how all that happened and how Michael gets in the business and like, yeah. you know, the whole story of like Michael saying, Hey, you got to come down to old miss and see this, you see breakfast down here and him and, you know, Hank and Hal flying down there. Yeah. Hal said that they thought they were just going to go down and eat breakfast. And like they showed out, they showed up, Michael had a full business plan and a full itinerary and they ate breakfast literally for 10 hours. Which, <laughs> and then that's how neighborhood jam stuff. Yes. You know? And I just want to say, I like, I met Michael when he first moved back, like uh-huh. when they first opened the first neighborhood jam yeah. and he was walking around and I started, I talked to him and now I call him all the time because he's really one of the bright young minds in food in Oklahoma. You yeah. know, we have these young guns that are sort of driving the market right now. Michael Kraft is one, Travis Clark, Rachel Cope, yeah. uh, Jay Mays. Uh, they're, they're the ones who are, you know, between 30 and 45, right, in that range. And they have ideas and they have passion and they have a a much simpler approach than the old school models where it's like Rachel, like she'll just build a box. Okay, here's the box, fill it with good food, down and dirty, we got this. And she's killing it and she deserves all of her success. And so I see Michael Kraft as one of those guys too. Because when you have a large company, and I love, don't get me wrong, I love what Hal Smith does. You cannot fault the consistency that you find at Charleston's. Right. It, like, it doesn't matter which Charleston's you go to, you're going to get you know exactly those chicken nuggets, the chicken strips are going to taste delicious. The ribs, it, it's that's what they do. Mm-hmm. But you have to evolve, right, the company. And so Michael came along and he had this great idea, yeah. but he's not going to stop having great ideas, right? right? And so Jimmy B's is kind of a, a product of both generations pushing this thing out there as an homage to a, a friend. But it's also... A brilliant cocktail bar. Yeah. Like, if, if you if you were to tell me like ten years ago that there would be a House Smith restaurant that's yeah. like a top five cocktail bar in the city, I'm like, no, that's no, you're making that up. Yeah, that's it's like, not his idea. But it, yeah. but it, it, it is, and it's brilliant. And Jimmy yeah. B's works, and a lot of the reason it works is because it's this combination of modern American restaurant yeah. and badass coffee uh, cocktail bar yeah yeah it's fantastic it is and i mean to know what that building was as well and how they've built it out yeah. structured it and dropped the ceiling and made it look you know giving you the the character and the atmosphere that they have 
phenomenal. I'm a big fan. I really am. Yeah, as yeah. a matter of fact, the July issue, we have our cocktail spread, and it's sure. it's beautiful. Uh, I'll say Christopher Lee, our, our art director, is just insane, and Lexi Hobing takes the best food pictures in the city. But they did we did a cocktail spread, and the first one, I think, is um, is the uh, butterfly effect at Jimmy B's. Yeah. It's just a beautiful drink, and it happens to taste good, too, which is always helpful. Which is always helpful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when people say to you, because this comment comes up all the time, you know, Oklahoma City's food scene's amazing, like... Do you just like roll your eyes? Because sometimes these people have no idea what they're talking about, but they've just heard people say it all the time and they have never been to any of the great restaurants. Dude. Like, it must drive you nuts. I, it's okay. So, good and a bad. You, you, you're a podcaster. So, if someone comes to you and says, Hey, I like this part of podcasting, and you're like, Me too. Yeah. I also know 3,000 other parts of podcasting. So, yeah, yeah, you could dive into that conversation with them if you wanted to. But mostly, with I've learned not always well, um, <laughs> to not have certain conversations with people. Because yeah. if they like something, there's no value in talking them out of it, right? Yeah. And if they if they haven't experienced something, you can just kind of point in that direction and hope it works out. Mm-hmm. And so, I like we just did this 100 things to eat in Oklahoma City list, which was super fun to put together. Yeah. Uh, and I'll have to tweak it as we go because it was restaurants closed. We'll just change those sure. out because it's digital. But I, most of the feedback I got was from people who said, oh, I've had seven of these or 24 of these. No one's had more than half. Wow. Right? Yeah. And so in, in they're all over the place. They're all over the metro. And it's everything from, um, okay, I can get down and dirty. I mean, it's, it's Lao food and it's uh, yeah. Guatemalan and it's Nicaraguan and Honduran and uh, Fuju Chinese. Every hole in the wall. It's, you it's just everything you can think of. And it's yeah. just like, I don't think you understand. We have 35 ethnicities making food in Oklahoma City. That and, much? Yes. And when people wow. think about it, they're just like, oh. Okay, because if you eat, yeah. Central America is mostly covered, like yeah. you can go do you can go get you can leave here where we are today, and you could be at a, a Salvadoran restaurant in six minutes, and then not another four minutes you'll be at a Honduran restaurant, yeah. and if you take a left you'd be at a Nicaraguan restaurant. So all of those sort of cluster around here, right? Yeah. And then if you go west of Portland or Weepo, if you want to call it that, uh, then you can start finding West African places too because yeah. Catholic Charities has done a good job of settling. Like It was Cote d'Ivoire, it was Eritrea and all those countries. Okay. They settled the refugees there. So, of course, when refugee communities Actually, show up, yeah. we'll have Afghan food soon, I'm very sure, because yeah. we have Afghan refugees here now. So it's a matter of time. And I absolutely love that yeah. about about this place. Uh, the kid that does this, I call him a kid, sorry. Uh, the young man that does the Sparrow Project where they resettle, um, refu- they help resettle okay. refugees. Uh, they, they provide services for them. One of the things he talked about was how a city is this sort of thing that's always happening. It's always changing and it's yeah. growing. And, and ideally a city opens its arms and welcomes new people and new types and new things and new cuisines and new ethnicities in because they become part of the city and yeah. the city re-identifies itself as something that also contains this. Yeah. And when it comes to food, I could not be happier about that narrative. Give me an Afghan restaurant. Seriously, today, I would go today if we had one. Right. Because it's new and I want to try it. Right. When Jeff Chanchaloon opened Madere, I'd had Lao food at 4J's and then uh, Casey Chanson bought, who she's a brilliant Lao chef herself and she has Queen of Egg Rolls. But when I went and I tasted what Jeff, this, every Thursday he does a soup. It's a soup. It's called cow soy. And the pl- flavor profile in that thing, I sat there and Dave Cathy, my friend from the Oklahoma, and yeah. we were eating it. And I was just going, there's nothing like this in the city. Like literally nothing. Yeah. It's like this new wonderful now we can eat it often enough now I'm sure, this, sure. I'm sure people felt the same way about hummus when it first showed up right. but the first Lebanese em- immigrants got here before statehood right yeah. so hummus is just like an Oklahoma food it's now it's, yeah. like just, it's what we do but tabbouleh of course steak with tabbouleh everybody does that so I'm pretty sure that these things will become part of it's like pho has become for yeah. like we still get visitors in Oklahoma City are like what's, what's pho 
It's like, really? And these kids who grow, oh, these kids have grown oh, up with it. Like, yeah. right, you know, I, I'm teaching kids now who are 18. Yeah. There's nothing more disturbing than having them tell you what year they were born every semester. And then, you know, you see sort of like, oh, cool. <laughs> so after 9-11, wow, cool. Uh, yeah. So their whole, you know, you get to reorient yourself constantly. Yeah. But they, they know what pho is from a very early age. And you have grown people showing up from other states and like, what's pho? Because now it's a staple for us because it's become part of our city. They're part of who we are. And I absolutely love that. And I yeah. wish if ever, I think if we sort of saw food as culture uh, and not as a commodity, right? I'm going to a right. Mexican restaurant not to be a and demand extra chips and more, all the things, but to sort of appreciate who the people are. In case I no pico. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I like a taco, but can you leave, hold the shell and um, do you, you, don't, you don't have iceberg lettuce? Who doesn't have iceberg lettuce? Yeah. Uh, there's a great story. Uh, one of my favorite places on the Southwest side, it's closed now. Rest in peace. Yeah. Uh, Cardenas SLP. It's the first place I ever had a Melita. Uh, and they've, they've got... Um, Chilongo now over on like Southwest Penn, South Penn and 44th. But I was in there one day and a friend of mine, Chris Castro, who you may know. Chris uh, is, yeah. Yeah. This is yeah, great. Yeah. Great. Brother, one of the too, great right? creative minds. Um, yeah. Great radio the, voice. Too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Every time I get a student who has one of those voices, I just want to throw rocks at him. <laughs> anyway, um, there's this young woman who's working there and he tells me the story about her where a white guy had come in and he wanted queso. Yeah. Well, dude, you're in a taqueria. If you want, if you really, really, really want cheese powder and chicken yeah. stock, we it's can whip some up for you. Absolutely. No problem at all. That's, if that's your thing, we can do it. But she didn't know, right? So she, all she hears is queso. So she yeah. brings him queso fresco, okay. that crumbly white cheese. Yeah. And he looks at her and then he's like, no. And he tries to explain, but he has zero Spanish, right? Of and so she takes it back and she comes back with shredded orange cheese, probably cheddar or something yeah. else. And he's getting mad because he thinks that she's having him on. But she literally doesn't understand. Right. And he doesn't know that queso's not a Mexico not thing. A Mexico thing. Right. Yeah. And so finally, finally, one of the other guests heard and sort of intervened and explained the thing to him. Yeah. And it was just like, but see, you're not there to experience the culture at that point. You're there to be a consumer and right. you've commodified all of the food and you've even commodified the people into yeah. immigrants and non-immigrants. You, you know all that, right? Yeah. And so rather than experience the culture, you want the culture to conform to your expectation of it. Yeah. And I find that deeply frustrating as a food writer because I want to go, I want to go taste weird things and I want them to be new and different. I don't want to, right. like I went on a trip one time when I was still teaching high school and we went with a group of teachers to Dallas and I was so excited to go to Dallas to try some new restaurants. Well, they, they voted. Don't ever let anyone tell you democracy is a good idea. You got to they, end it out. They voted. <laughs> I swear to you, we ended up with chilies. I was so mad. I was just like, "What are you talking? What chilies?" Yeah. And it's like, but they do have Southwest egg rolls. Oh, this um, is different to the one in Oklahoma City. <laughs> and I, so I, I struggle with fear-based people. I do. I struggle yeah. with them. And when it comes to food, especially, it's like, dude, if you don't like it, you just spit it out. Yeah. Right. You're just like, I don't. I didn't like that. But you've. You've learned something. You've yes. had an experience. Your life has changed, right. even in a minute way, but it's changed. And if you find something you love, then, like, that's what happened to me. Like, Chris Castro and Carlos Alvarado, uh, the, the two of them took me to the southwest side for the first time. And now I've been over there a bunch of times with them. And they've introduced me to not Mexican food, but regional Mexican cuisine. Okay. Sonora, yeah. Jalisco, Durango. And you start tasting that and how things are different. It's like... Th there's no, there's no, it's, it's like, can you even imagine someone saying, well, it's uh, American food? Yeah. 
which, which one? Which, which part what, of America what, are we talking what, about? What, what, and Oklahoma is yeah. especially susceptible to this yeah. because we are an artificial culture. Like, right, there was this space and it's like, let's, those people that don't matter and right. these people, yeah, whatever. But now all the white folks, come on, it's all free. Yeah. And so they showed up. And they came from everywhere. Right. And so when someone says, what's Oklahoma cuisine? There's no answer to that there question. There's no specific. There's not. Yeah. And, and everybody's like, biscuits and gravy or whatever. Biscuits and gravy are kind of a Depression era thing. I mean, uh, sure, they, they existed, but they weren't like a staple until people had to like survive. Yeah. So I, I, I like the idea that we are this sort of mix of everything. And so we do have, weirdly enough, restaurant key lime pie. Take yeah. key lime pie, for example. I talked to Brad Johnson, Hal Smith's executive chef, about this one time. And the, you know why we have key lime pie all over Oklahoma City? It's because someone in Florida who worked for Hal Smith's company brought the recipe back to Oklahoma, and they put it at Charleston's, and, it, and everybody loved it. So now every, there's, and we think that's like an Oklahoma thing. Do you see any key lime trees around here? No, there's not. But I don't care because it's delicious, and I'm glad that it's here. Yeah. Right? So I want them to feel the exact same way about things that show up, like when Jeff introduces a, a, a dish like nam cow, which is their crispy rice dish right. with fermented ham, and it's amazing. But that's harder to wrap your brain around. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so when Rachel Cope did Gun, rest in peace, uh-huh. for five minutes, it was the best restaurant in Oklahoma City. Um, she was really smart and intentional to put the menu outside, talk to people, use social media, and explain to them this really foreign izakaya concept that was yeah. coming to Oklahoma City. Because most people haven't ever been to an you izakaya have to be before. Educated, exactly. Yeah. And she, but she didn't do it in a sort of uh, a looking down way. She did it in a way where it made sense right. as an oki. Like Jeff actually used catfish for the karaage catfish instead of what would have been basa or some other kind of okay. fish in Japan. Yeah. And it was, it was a smart way to sort of localize the thing. Because Anoki sits down and is like, oh, I know catfish. Yeah. I love, and his catfish was extraordinary. So that's the sort of thing you have to do to make food make sense to people. So when you, when people, sadly, and, and people, you know, so I'm just rambling at this point, but you can stop me. Well, no, 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 because I, I had this conversation with, um, uh, who's the guy who does edible? Oh, Stuart. Stuart. I had this conversation with Stuart um, three or four months ago about kind of, we just kind of had a coffee and, and spoke about like, why do people go to restaurants and order the same thing? Because it's a fear-based thing. They haven't been educated yep. and they don't, the fear base of like, and also a monetarily thing too, that like I'm treating myself. Yeah. Going out for dinner, some people, I want to have something, I want to have an experience that I know is safe. Correct. I don't want to spend 30, 40, $50 on an experience that I feel like I've wasted You're and then ready. I'm going to yep. go and grab Chick-fil-A on the way home. And I wish people understood that at a more sort of visceral level. And I have to keep, because when you're a food writer, you know, in, in, even a wine writer, I got a bottle in the mail today that's a $200 bottle of wine. Yeah. I wouldn't go to the store and buy that myself. I get that because I'm a writer, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And so you have to keep the economics in your brain at all times. Right. And of course I'm going to say, go eat at this place you can't pronounce and you've never heard of and you've never tried the food yeah. because that's what I've chosen to spend my money on. Yeah. Right. But if you are, like you say, it's our Friday night out. I have, a, I have a, I have an assumption that most people eat at about 20, 25 restaurants a year. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Cause they'll yeah. have their, yeah. their regular Maximum. place they go. I think yeah. so. Yeah. And I, as of today, I've been at 240 bars, restaurants and coffee shops in Oklahoma city this year. This year. I did 250 la- all of last year. I'm already at 240 this year. Yeah. So odds are good. I'll hit 350. It slows down, you know, because sure. circles get bigger that you have to drive, but I take the job seriously. And I, and, I, and I love it. Yeah. And so, but I, I do think that when someone has 
40 bucks to spend and it's their night, then they're going to go to the place that they know right. gonna, the food's going to be consistent. It's going to be, yeah. that's why Hal Smith kills. They go on a Texas that's why, they, that's why they crush yeah. is because Hal Smith knows that when you show up, you have a limited amount of money to spend and you want exactly what you want for your money. Yeah. And they've done that with excellence yeah. for decades. Um, and so I've always been impressed by, by how they do that sort of consistency. And a lot of that is Brad Johnson because he is a genius of a chef in a lot of ways, especially when it comes to providing this kind of, sure. of food. So I try to be try to keep be cautious about saying you should try this or or disdaining their sort of fear ab- about that because I'm sure that most of those people if you said listen money's no object order whatever you want off the menu oh, they would yeah. try a bunch of new things yeah they would that's what I do when I go and like you get you get like you get a phone call from Valona or whoever says hey we're opening a new restaurant yeah, exactly. you get a free meal she's like order whatever you want. And then, you, then you order things. Thank you, you so much. That's right. You like I had the duck at whatever that restaurant, Skirvin. I yeah. never would have ordered duck. Duck is so good there, whatever it was. Yeah. And they like fried um, I mean, if cantaloupe or whatever. If it's a French it's chef amazing. that can't cook duck, he shouldn't be a chef. Very true. I mean, that's yeah. Just, yeah. He but was, he's, he's very French. He is too. talented. He yeah. is. Uh, I had that same duck dish and it was so spectacular. Yeah. And, the, and the cantaloupe was a genius sort of addition to that. I was shocked because I, I didn't too. think it was cantaloupe when I ate it. When it I like, like, you know, cutting into it, I'm like, oh. This is actually Calum. Yeah. Okay. So, so. That, that's that's for me is one of the challenges is to sort of write about things that people know and yeah. love, and then to write about things that they don't know and challenges them a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like our taco spread last year in July was absolutely brilliant, thanks to again Christopher Lee. Um, it was, but I told them early on, and the, the magazine has been very supportive of these this drive towards diversity. Right. I told them we're going to do taquerias. We're not going to do gringo tacos for yeah. a taco feature. Yeah. And so we we found a way to do both, but. The problem isn't like when you see tacos from taquerias on the south side, um, they're not necessarily photogenic. Right. They're delicious. They, you're right. They, but they're yeah. not photogenic. Yeah. And so you do the best you can. And you cool. just acknowledge that, listen, we're not going to have the most beautiful food shots in this story, but we're going to represent it honestly. Right. Yeah. We're going to tell, and this is how we're telling the story. Um, quite frankly, a chorizo and egg breakfast taco is not a pretty thing when it's opened up in the photo, but you know what? It's delicious. It's (laughs) It's delicious. So you have to sort of, I I just did a piece on Guatemalan food because I'm madly in love with tea in Guatemala. And it's one of those, it's one of those fear moments because you walk in and there's a whole mercado to the right. And then there was a little kitchen to the left. And one of my favorite things is to get there in the morning when there's this group of women just standing around this mound of masa, just slapping it out, right? Yeah. Making, making pupusas and tortillas and all this stuff. But when you walk in there, you don't know what to do. Now, they're smart. This dude spotted me. He like he clocked me as soon as I walked in. And he came over. He goes, hello, welcome. And I'm like, okay, here we go. And he said, do you know what you need? And I was like, yes. And he walked me through the whole process. Yeah. But every small restaurant can't do that. Right. Right. I will say at Tienda, the family's been around for a long time. It used to be uh, Chaltepe's okay. in um, Plaza District. Uh, when I go to the counter now, there's one lady back there that is comfortably bilingual. Yeah. And she sees white people. She She's the one that comes to help you. Yeah. And she can walk you through everything. But it's hard for a person who's never done this to walk into one of those places. To have the confidence. To have, like, I'm going to go in and I'm, I exactly. might feel like an idiot, but it's okay. Yes. No, that's hundred percent right? true. I, when I, when, um, I don't know if her name is going to elude me right now. Uh, the last director of the lobby antenna, the, uh, Southwest 29th district, uh, Emma Dean Kratoshwell. Um, we were talking about this. There's, they know it's not like that. This is a big secret. One of the yeah. things they need to do in that district to increase business is to make white people feel comfortable coming down there to eat. Yeah. And so part of that is streetscape and they're working on that. They get a big grant to change the sort of streetscape of Southwest 29th between Western and may. Um, and then, 
making sure that the signage works and everything else works and you feel comfortable doing that. But there's, it's, and I said this in, uh, recently and I mean it, the experience of being uncomfortable is really important, right? I've been in enough countries where I wasn't majority. Not just in eating. No, that's right. In everything. And, yeah. and white people in America are very used to feeling comfortable. Uh -huh. And so if you put them, it's, it's, one of the, it's why white people yell at Spanish, Hispanic kids in McDonald's. It's because they don't speak enough. Yeah. And it's like, are we, are we really doing this right are, now? Are we, are we still at this point this in life right really? now? Like, come yeah. on. But, yeah. but it's like, so to, 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 to be uncomfortable yeah. is hard, but it's really important that you get comfortable with being uncomfortable. So you walk into the strange place. First thing you have to do, honestly, is just ask for help. Yeah. And they want to take your money. They are 100% oh, yeah. on board with giving you food and then you giving them money. But you have to sort of, like I, I had this amazing moment during the lockdown. I was going to Tin Tan down on uh, South Penn, Western. Uh, it's a burrito place. You've seen yeah. the trucks driving around, but if you go to the place and get them there fresh, they're amazing. So I, I got going in and the son, he speaks comfortable English. We're chatting every day because I'm just trying to help restaurants. You know, yeah. we're going out every day and getting to go food. Well, as soon as the lockdown's over, I go back to Tin Tan and I walk in and the board's up there and I order just what it says. And the lady on the hotline looks at me like, so I said it again and she went, and then she started pointing, and I'm like, oh, my God, what happens now? And, well, there's this a young a teenager next to me, uh, Latina, and she said, what are you trying to order? And yeah. I pointed at it, and I said it to her, and then she ordered in completely different words. It was one of those lunch things I really like, wanted to I'm talk so to her. Glad for, I really here. wanted five yeah. minutes to say, okay, what did you do that I didn't do? Right. And why does it say that if you said that? Right. Yeah. Those moments are just going to happen. They are. Right? Yeah. And you just have to just... It's like you being from Wales. Yeah. Like people from England even go to Wales and they're like, well, I'm sorry, what did you say? Yeah, exactly. But what is that? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I just, I, I don't know. I, I That's an important thing to me. Yeah. Is if you walk into a place and you don't look like the people who own it or who are eating there, just be okay with being uncomfortable yeah. for a minute. I, It'll to be that right. point, I love the videos that you see on social media of like the typical white kid in the middle of Asia ordering in their own specific language, right? Because yeah. the face, the looks that he gets from like ordering exactly from this tiny little language in this little town, yeah. they probably only have that language. Like it's fascinating. But to the, to your point, you're always going to be uncomfortable when you go to the you know these very authentic restaurants, and that's where you get the best food. Yeah, you know and. I'll have I'll, for people listening. I'll put the description, um, the lit, the list of the top 100 places in the description. So you guys can go see it because, I mean, tick off those places, right, like, dude? And a lot of them aren't that expensive. Oh my god, not like, that's what drives me crazy. Yes. Like if you go to the south side, if you go to Southwest 29th and just pick a taqueria, Los Desvelados, yeah. it doesn't really matter to me. Uh, just pick one and go in there, and they're going to give you a full plate of food for nine dollars. You're yeah. like, I'm sorry, I should give you more money at this point. One of my favorite videos i think it was maybe news nine did it they like literally took 20 bucks and yeah. went around the local there was like I, I, I can't remember who it was in it i'll have to find it and they literally had 20 dollars and they went to like five food trucks yeah. and spent 20 bucks. 20 bucks and at the end of it they didn't have enough like they couldn't physically eat, eat any more food, food. <laughs> there's a truck that's parked at uh south uh, northwest 10th and portland almost every day now taqueria rodriguez and it's i like this young man a lot he doesn't I speak as much Spanish as he speaks English. Yeah. That's all you, yeah. So we do a lot of nodding. Yeah. A lot of thumbs like up. That. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> uh, so the first time I go, he, 
you know, it's 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 the racial profile in reverse. Yeah. It's like every once in a while I'll go to a taqueria and they'll put a, 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 that sad queso on the table. It's like, I don't need that. Um, yeah. But so I go to the truck and, he's, and he looked at me and he goes, quesabiria? And I'm like, lingua? He goes, quesabiria. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so I got his quesabiria tacos. They're life-changing. Yeah. Like, I don't know what he's doing, but they're, you get three of them, 11 bucks. You can't eat three. There's no way you can eat three of these things. So I called Chris Castro. I'm like, have you had Taqueria Rodriguez? He goes, those are the best quesabiria tacos hands down in the city. I'm like, yeah. I'm glad we're on the same page because that they are life-changing, right? Yeah. And it's 11 bucks and it's two meals because you can't eat all three. Right. I promise you, you can't eat all three. And so there's all of those places, like the Tacos Al Carbone, you'll see those places every once in a while. There's one up on 10th now between Portland and Meridian. And so on the right side of the road, you walk in, you get a quarter chicken, all these tortillas, vegetables, and the guy said 10 bucks. I'm like, what? He said, yeah, $10. And then you're you like, you start looking for a tip jar or something. He's like, can I give you more money? I don't know. Because yeah. it's three meals. It's yeah. like, what? And so I wish people knew that a little that the price points over there make sense given some of the, like the overhead that they're paying and the fact they don't have a lot of other headaches that modern restaurants try to contend right. with. And, you know, I'm sympathetic to the plight of restaurants right now. Trust me. Oh yeah. But, um, I also know that people as inflation increases and they have less money to spend. Those actually become excellent options. I mean, like fantastic options. And that, that's true of, of noodle places too, like noodle bowl, like Northern noodle house over here, right off of Classen and uh, magic noodle in Norman. Um, uh, that's two meals and it's that's $9. And it's delicious food. Yeah, right? stop buying $8 coffees. And, and for God's <laughs> sake, stop buying boxes of ramen. You, you can get real ramen in the city. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we've all been there. Yeah. No, um, I was too in college. Yeah. 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 But still, you're right. It's um, So, yeah, for, I mean, this has been epic. I can't thank you enough for sharing. And I'm sure, like, we connect. Like, we can talk about this for a long time. Oh, yeah. I'm sure we will over a few drinks one day. Uh, but for people listening, uh, we'll put the link to the top 100. That'd be great. Because they can at least start to check those off. Yeah. Um, and then, Greg, your Instagram is at xpasta. I'll put that in the description as well. And you're a writer, not a food writer. You I'm a writer. writer. Yes. So I'll see a lot of your stuff in Business Magazine now. Yeah, the, actually, yes. Um, I knocked out two for digital today, but, uh, like, the, the, we just finished our Black-owned business uh, yeah. article, which I'm just so proud of that issue. And we got so much help and I'm so proud of the white folks involved because they listened like they didn't right it was just a great it's not just a box tick it's, right and yeah. you know J.D. Baker who used to work for the mayor he's a great kid and uh, he's the one that told me he said you know white people have been telling our stories for a long time I'm like okay yeah he ends up writing part of it yeah. yeah and so and it was just this great collaborative experience where I just you know, it's not, I don't know how often I've said this lately, but I, I mean it in all sincerity. I'm really proud of what the work that we're doing over there right now. Yeah. And, I, and at all of our publications, Sarah Gay Waters has four or five homes. She does a brilliant job with that as well. So I just, yeah, it's, it's a good place to be right now. Mm -hmm. We're an amazing city and I think we're doing a great job of telling those stories. But I also think Stuart Hutt, Stuart and, um, uh, the edible team, I think they're doing a fantastic mm -hmm. job. Dave Cathy and I've been friends for a while now. I think he does a good job covering food as well. Yeah. I just, we're a collaborative, cooperative, let's be nice to each other kind of city, and I hope it always stays that way. Right. Yeah. And then, and then you have me coming in who has no idea about food, but somehow has a social media following, trying not to step on toes. So <laughs> I am looking for as much guidance in food stuff as possible because that's one thing I'd love to get into more of. Because coming from the UK, I don't really have a palate. Yeah, I was <laughs> right? gonna say I ate over there for a while. Oh, it's, it's not like, good. Yeah, uh, there's a dish I have never been able to find again. I went to a pub and they yeah. had like a, it was a pastry filled with burgundy stew. 
Uh, and they, I swear to you, you need to put a nose bag on a horse so it can eat. Yeah. I swear that lady called it nose bag that day, but it's been 30 years now. And I've never been able to find a recipe for it or anything else, but it literally was pastry full, full of uh, beef bourguignon. Yeah. Uh, and it was just pub fair and it was fantastic. I know. Yeah. It's but just as like, a rule, not great, like not great food pie. in England. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. I know what you're Despite talking about. Gordon Ramsay's greatest efforts. These <laughs> Somehow. But anyway. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, Greg, thanks so much for coming down. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed um, it. It's been a blast. I'm excited to, to start taking off this list on my own because my wife loves, you know, loves to eat spicy food and I do not. But if I can yeah. take her to a few places and, and kind of put a smile on her face, that puts me in a good books. And, so, um, and, and honestly, some of those things will save you some money. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so for some people listening, we'll put the link to the top 100 uh, in Oklahoma City in the description. And and Greg's Instagram, and we will catch you next episode. Cheers. This podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, telling Oklahoma stories through its people since 1927. Follow them online at oklahomahof.com and definitely on Instagram at oklahomahof. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.